1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
0: Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us.
2: This is Sarah from the left, bringing you a special bonus episode of Who Politics. We are sharing our conversation on the Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey podcast. Brandon interviewed us about empathy and nuance, and we really had a lovely time talking to him, and we thought we needed to put it in our feet so you guys could hear the whole thing. You can find more conversations about nuance, empathy, hope, and making an impact on the world just like this one by subscribing to Sounds Good wherever you listen to your podcast. So enjoy, guys.
1: Sarah from the left, Beth from the right. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. This is the tagline behind Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silver's podcast, Pantsuit Politics. You might have heard of it. You might have listened. You might be a subscriber yourself. In November of 2015, right as the political election in the United States was ramping up, these two women with opposing conservative and liberal views began recording conversations between the two of them with the goal of listening to each other first and talking politics second. Ever since the elections, it is no secret that having respectful conversations about politics feels like a novel concept. I would be the first to admit that I found conversations about politics with friends and family oftentimes harder than ever. And maybe we could all admit this to ourselves. Sarah and Beth know this tension full well, and it made it their intention with their podcast and with their life to pursue political conversations to learn from each other rather than just walking into discussions trying to win. It feels crazy, but I think that it's more important than ever. I'm so excited that this week I get to have Sarah and Beth on the podcast. They came through Nashville, and we actually had them into the studio to record and I loved the conversation that we got to have. We dove into this idea of nuance and how we can find a lot more nuance in the world of politics and how we can also find a lot more empathy as well. And I think that these are things that we, especially in this sounds good community, have been craving more of. And a lot of our episodes recently have been centered around this. And so I'm just really excited about this conversation. If you're new to the podcast, I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and division and using their lives to bring people together. So, without any further ado, let's just jump straight into our conversation. Welcome to Nashville, you two.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: It's so fun to to be here, to get to talk with you guys. I've admired you guys for a long time. I I like your guys' podcasts. I like you guys on the internet. <laughs> Thank fun. you. I
0: love what you're doing, too. I listened to a bunch of your episodes on my trip to the oh my goodness. last week, and I loved
1: them. Thank you. That's awesome. so fun. Um, You guys are in town for an event. I was telling you guys this before we got started, but right after the election, I was having a conversation with a bunch of friends, kind of like you know, I think that most of America was about politics and just trying to make sense of everything that's happened in the last year. And uh, we were sitting around the table over drinks and probably chips and guac and, you know, trying to talk about uh, how we can be empathetic and how we can be uh, understanding of of other people in this country and uh, how we can dive into the nuance of topics. And uh, one of my friends brought up you two. They brought up your podcast and said that it was a perfect example of two people who were coming together to have conversations that mattered. And so that's when I first came to admire you two. And I'm excited to get to talk today because I think what you guys are doing is really important. And it's something that I'm trying to learn how to do better. And I think that so many of our listeners are too.
2: Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. That's such a compliment. That's definitely what we are striving for. It's definitely, you know, sort of our guiding light when we started the podcast. You know, it's not hard to talk to Beth. That's, you know, that's why I do it two times a week. Uh, Even though we see um, several issues differently, that's not the hard part. The hard part, I think, is what both of us try to do, even though we come from different sides of the political spectrum. Um, And especially post the election is put ourselves in the place of people that we have difficulty, that it is hard to think about, hard to think about where they come from. I live in a very conservative area. I'm a progressive. And so it's something I think about a lot. It's really important to me. I was telling you before we got started, I used to love the show Sister Wives and they described (laughs) polygamy as rubbing your rough edges off. And I think Mm. that's what those conversations do. I think it can be a spiritual practice. I think that it is good to live and be and exist and interact with people that are different than you. To rub your rough edges off, to to make you question where you're coming from, and to um, it's a it's a spiritual muscle, just like everything else, and it's good to work it out.
1: Mm. For the sake of audio, really quick, I will say that that was Sarah who just spoke, (laughs) Sarah from the left, and Beth from the right. That's what you guys say, right? I'm
2: loud, and Beth is Beth is a quiet talker, so you'll be have a little bit of a delicious dish voice, as we've talked about. Oh, that's good.
1: That's real good. (laughs) And so you guys both live in Kentucky, yes. um, Which is a wonderful thing for a political podcast because i feel like most political podcasts i listen to come out of new york city
2: brooklyn san francisco yeah lot from la and
1: i and i love all that like they they're fantastic but if there's one thing we learned in this election it's that maybe we've got a little bit too much emphasis on on some coastal stuff going on and i'm a west coast guy but you know i think that there's something really special about the fact that you guys are talking about this from the middle of the country and you guys are able to dive into nuance because you guys can experience the full spectrum of things
0: it's been interesting to have people react to the fact that we're essentially in, you know, what they think of as flyover country when Kentucky is so much at the epicenter of a lot of what happens in Washington DC. Mm. You know, the Senate majority leaders from Kentucky. Um healthcare in Kentucky has been quite successful under the Affordable Care Act and then we just elected a republican governor in the in the november election in which president trump was elected and so healthcare is changing dramatically in kentucky there's a ton of uh, reporting going on from kentucky mm. about the impact of healthcare so it's rural it's flyover country but it is also i think very representative of a lot of what's mm. going on in the united states and and has an outsized influence in dc in a lot of ways because of mitch mcconnell
1: that's fascinating and so let's take it back a little bit You guys have been doing this podcast for a few years now, but you guys have known each other for a long time. When did you guys first meet?
0: Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. Wow. Taking it back. In the first year urban program at Transylvania no, University? No, I did not I was
2: not a fupper. Were you not? I was, I was not anywhere. Amy was. My roommate was okay, who okay. was also in our sorority. <laughs> so we must we must have met during sorority recruitment. Yes. We met mm. during we Beth and I were a member of the same sorority, Five you we're still I still consider myself a member. I'm a yeah. proud sorority girl. Wow. Um, put, well in in full disclosure, transy sorority culture is a smidge
1: difference <laughs> Uh smidge. five years transy is
2: <laughs> (laughs) basically like student government leaders and like i started a feminist group at transy and my sorority sisters were the most dependable attendees of my first couple meetings so (laughs) um but i really loved the experience and so beth was the president of our fraternity or sorority at one time i however despite being elected official now lost every single election i ever ran for inside the sorority wow fun fact about me i was like the abraham lincoln of find me at transy (laughs) um before i finally won things as an adult um but we Yeah, so we've known each other for a very long time since college, but we did not stay in close contact after college. It was, a you know, Facebook, all roads lead to Facebook. Um, And so after college and once we both became mothers, we started contacting and seeing each other on Facebook. Because
1: you were connecting over both being mothers? Was that kind of Well, I had a
2: blog, so I don't know if that's where you sort of stumbled back upon me.
0: I was reading Sarah's blog. I really liked what she was doing with her blog. I think it allowed me to see her. As an adult, as opposed to a college student. You know, I think, yeah. I think. I mean, I was wonderful as a college student. She was wonderful. T- <laughs> <laughs> I've evolved I think, since then. Well, I think we all evolve, right? Yeah. And you have kind of a one dimensional sense of people in college versus totally. what you're capable of as an adult. And I loved Sarah's blog. And so I think during my first maternity leave, um I started reading Sarah's blog and liking it. And at that point I started sending her things like, Hey, I wrote this thing. If you want to share it on your blog, that's oh, great. Cool. not, no worries. Um and she and did she did. say yes? She did. She wow. always said yes. I don't know if you've ever written a blog, but you're always looking for content. <laughs> Very often she'd be like, uh, thank goodness because I'm going on vacation, I need to <laughs> For whatever. That's perfect. And so we had an exchange about Syria that I think was a kind of a good debate. Mm. And then on my second it- maternity leave, that's when I was like Diving into it a little bit more. And did
1: you guys? Were you aware of the fact that you differed politically? Because Beth, I don't you remember are on knowing the right that about and you you're college. On the left.
0: I don't remember that. I was not super political in yeah. college, and I don't think I've ever. I would have ever described myself as super totally. political. It's yeah. kind of funny that that we do this.
1: It's it's more that people describe themselves as political in the last few years i would say too i think that's true in and- many
2: ways though this is how beth and i we complement each other nicely i was always super political mm-hmm. but i started college as like a conservative southern baptist and ended as like a progressive feminist so i did a and total that transition
1: makes you even more passionate
2: yeah i mean yeah ways. because i understand both sides It's you know it's always been a subject that i'm very interested in i was a political science major but i don't remember knowing that about her and I, when she started writing for my book blog I don't I mean I think it came up but it wasn't like you know disqualifying I was like great <laughs> more the more the merrier the more subject matters the better the more perspectives the better and she wrote a fantastic piece called nuance um after the Caitlin Jenner mm. um winning what was the are the Arthur Ash award the controversy mm. it sort of stu- sort of um triggered all these discussions and she was basically like if I, I look back now at that discussion I think how quaint that we were Arguing about Caitlyn Jenner, oh, the good old days. <laughs> um, and then she said, you know, it was a, it was a great post. It was like everything doesn't have to be black and white. Mm. Everything doesn't have to be either or. Like there is room in the middle for you to acknowledge that. Caitlyn Jenner is doing something brave and that there is bravery is not a finite resource that we pass out at the ESPY awards and like we can have we can talk about this in a more nuanced way and so this nuance that that was the name of the post and it was really popular and we all had really great conversations about it and I had been kicking around the idea for a podcast for a while I thought maybe I would do interviews about women in politics and that's where I got the name pantsuit politics
1: and you studied politics in school right I
2: did and then I worked for um, I went to law school I worked for Planned Parenthood I went to law school I worked for Hillary Clinton's presidential race and Senator Menendez in Washington, D.C., and then Mm. I said, I don't want to live here anymore. And I moved back to Paducah, Kentucky, my hometown. Um, And so then— when I was kicking around this idea and I did one interview and I was like, I don't like interview podcasts. Um, no, it's not that I don't like <laughs> No, I'll take it. <laughs> interview podcasts. I don't like doing them. It's not I don't mind some interviews, but I just saw like I sat on that interview for a while and oh, never totally. did anything with it. And I thought, like, this is not gonna be a passionate situation for me. And so I um, and then when she wrote that I thought, Oh, what if Beth and I did a podcast together mm. and I always tell the our origin story that way. I called her up and I was like, Let's just talk and let's just see how this goes. And like 45 minutes in, I was like, Okay, good, we're cutting this <laughs> off because we're not gonna talk anymore recording it. This was great. That's so.
1: amazing. I wish I recorded that
2: first one. I'd give anything for that conversation.
1: Yeah. And do you remember that? Like, what were you thinking when she called you up with that idea?
2: I was thinking, what is a
0: podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was not a world that I was into. And I had some anxiety about it, honestly. Um, I work for a regional law firm. I kind of thought, what's going to happen when I'm just me? I've always been very role driven. Like, I've never had the zeal of the converted about Mm. anything. I've just kind of been me going (laughs) along. Sarah talks about the story. my Indian
2: name, Zeal of the Converted.
0: <laughs> it is <for> name. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, when I think about the sorority, even, you know, I was kind of dragged into all of the elections. I never wanted to be an officer, but people would say, like, I need you to do this. And mm-hmm. I would say, all right. And then I would do it. And so that's kind of how everything in my life has been. And so Sarah called me and said, let's do a podcast. And I was like, oh, I'm nervous about this. But I loved the idea of collaborating with her. I did feel kind of a call to To call out the silliness that I was seeing on social media when I wrote that post about Caitlyn Jenner, I just kept seeing people say, like, she's not a cancer survivor. I'm like, you don't have to – like, that's rude (laughs) to say, like, you're not cancer survivor brave, but you're a little brave. I mean, what are we doing? (laughs) And so – Anyway, I loved I loved the conversation that we had, and thought maybe we can do this, and maybe like five of our closest friends and family members will listen, mm. and that's how we started. And I and I did have this moment of committing to myself that if we were going to do this, I was not going to censor. There was mm. no point in coming to the microphone if I was going to think about my employer or my Which husband is or so my mom. Hard. I mean, because I is. think about
1: that, and especially the first year I did the podcast, I would show up to the microphone and be like okay, what can I say? What can I not say? How vulnerable can I get without hurting somebody or offending somebody or making you know Thanksgiving awkward? <laughs> and you slowly start to shed that off. But I like that intentionality you went into this with because I think the podcast works because you're able to dive into that.
2: And again, we're perfect compliments because I have no capacity to censor. It's just not a thing. When you're like, before the we started, you're like, if there's something you don't want to talk about, I just said, I don't think there's a subject I've ever encountered I don't want to talk about. The more awkward it is, the more I'm like, ooh, let's talk about it. <laughs> oh,
1: But, okay, so so you start doing this podcast, and the heart was what exactly? Somebody on the right, somebody on the left, having conversations.
2: When I My just elevator pitch to people, which I just gave at the Apple store where I was Tending to my laptop, my two year old destroyed. I said he was asking <laughs> me about it, and I said, you know, it's my friend. She's from the right. I'm from the left. And our 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 line on the show is no shouting, um, no insults, plenty of nuance. And I always tell people we have. Uh, um, Respectful conversation where we don't call each other's names. Novel concept, right? And everybody – thats sort of my elevator pitch People people like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. You know, I think it – I always describe it when we put the show out there. It was like people found us like thirsty wanderers in the desert. Everyone was mm. so desperate for respectful conversation and so desperate for a space in which they felt like they weren't being bullied or manipulated or – you know, given information and in a very with a with a purpose in mind, and I think that when they found that space, um, it, it quickly ballooned way past the five family members. Everybody listens, but my family members, so I sort of have the opposite situation <laughs> right now, well, which I is good because I talk about my dad a lot.
0: When we use the language "coming together" a lot right now in America, I think what we tend to mean is people should listen to me and come around to my way of viewing the world. (laughs) And we never have the goal of convincing each other of something Mm. or reaching a conclusion even. That's interesting. Very often it's let's have this discussion and if it ends in I understand my position a little better and I understand your position a little better and they don't intersect – that's fine. We do agree a lot. And yeah. sometimes people will comment on like why gosh, you guys agree too much. Like can't you debate a little <laughs> bit more? And we're like, no. And I think the reason that we tend to agree a lot is because we try to dive into the issue a little deeper. What what are yeah. the principles underlying our positions on this, not just what are the talking points that
2: you could get from any pundit yeah. sitting we on also any don't set? Treat it like team sports. Yeah. We don't we're not opposite each other. We're on the same team. We're all on the same team. Yeah. It can be the human team. It can be the American team. It can be the Kentucky team.
1: Okay. And so if we're all on the same team, what is the common goal of that team? How would you define that then?
2: I mean, I would feel like when we talk, the common goal of, of the pantsuit politics team is to find the nuance. Let's find mm-hmm. the space in which the black and white falls away, and we're not, and we're looking at and instead of but, and we're trying to see the, see the space in a way we had not seen it before. I mean, that's mm-hmm. sort of what I think. I don't know. What do you think, Beth?
0: I think that's true, and I also think personal growth for each of mm-hmm. us is, is a huge element of what we're trying to accomplish because... We are convinced that when we grow personally, we grow collectively, mm. and that doesn't have to mean again that we all agree. I think that's what's th- that for me is an essential element of the nuance that we never have to all agree to be able to take a step forward. That's yeah, huge. we we
2: always say everything anything good is hard. Anything you're going to do that's good that's going to move forward is going to be hard. It's yeah, going to leave you a little sweaty. If you're not sweaty, you're probably not doing it right. Yeah, and so like that's I think that's what we're always. We're sort of, you know, leaning in. I was listening to Cheryl Sandberg on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday conversations yes. this now podcast, which I love <laughs> all things Oprah, and she was talking about grieving as sort of leaning into the suck. And I think, for better or for worse, where we are as a country is a place in which we need to lean into the suck. We have a mm. lot to grieve, we have a lot to process, we have a lot to move forward as a culture and a society. And and I am proud of the capacity of Pantsy politics in our community to lean into the suck a little bit.
1: That's huge. I want to talk a little bit more about nuance. I feel like this is a word that I remember... Learning a few years ago, like this is not something it's I grew a up with. That word is yeah. having a moment for it's, sure. But I think it's really, really important. I was, uh, I was in this big group of people one time, and they're like, "What are you learning right now?" Like you had to go around the circle, and everybody'd be like, "What are you learning right now?" That's a great question. And, <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting question, and, and people had such a diverse number of things. But I basically, and and people would like cheer after each one. They're like, "I'm learning that this is true in the world," or "I'm learning that this is true in the world," or "I'm learning that I need to do more of this." And I said, "I'm learning." that I just want to be wrong a little bit more and and maybe dive into the nuance. And and nobody cheered after me. (laughs) And and maybe they were just getting tired. I don't know. (laughs) But I was like, okay, this isn't like an easy thing. It's not a cool thing, but it's a valuable thing. And so I'd love to dive into this a little bit more.
2: We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura com slash
1: First of all, is nuance like what's like the the quick like one liner on? No, there's no one liner
2: is... on nuance. That's the point <laughs> of nuance.
1: Um, it, it's it's scraping off the the top layer and going a, a level deeper.
0: Yes, and I think making space for paradox mm. is a we big love part paradox. of nuance.
1: Paradox.
0: And I think making space for uh, degrees of intensity. Is a mm. big part of nuance. I don't. I think we miss a lot of the gradations that positions can have in our yeah. political dialogue right now. So I think those are kind of, to me, being able to kind of hold on to paradox and see that that things are always on a spectrum,
2: not one mm. or the other.
0: That would be my definition of nuance.
2: Yeah, I definitely think. I mean, I think that that's right. I think that there is um, space. You know, I, it's so easy to go to the black, white, gray. But I mean, I think paradox sometimes is that there's black, white, and gray. You know, that there yeah. isn't, you don't have to pick one or the other, and that there is, you know, there is complexity in almost everything. And acknowledging that and being comfortable with saying, I don't know, I don't know, that's got to be, you have to have a space for that. I think if you're going to value nuance and you're mm. going to value that, you have to say, we don't have all the answers, we don't know all the information. Um, we'd, I don't know how I feel about this personally. I, don't, I have to spend some time with this and just to be comfortable in that space.
1: Yeah, and, and that kind of makes me think about how hard that is to do and especially how hard it is to let go of black and white thinking because when you have a rule book in your life, when you say, oh, this is right, this is wrong, this is black, this is white – life is so much easier. Oh my goodness. Your brain doesn't have to exert energy. You just get to like breeze through life being like, Oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to believe this. I'm not going to believe this. But as soon as you get a curveball, where you like, I recently read this article that said that it's something like 70% of people uh, in the United States now know a gay person. And when you know somebody who's gay, uh, you're more likely to to think that your gay friend can get married compared to people who don't know somebody that's gay aren't going to think that. And, you know, without getting into the actual politics of this, it's black and white thinking to be like, oh, this is right or this is wrong. But then as soon as you know somebody, you're like, oh, there's a little bit more gray area to this. You've got to now this this idea has a face to it. Right. Um, And and I think that's true with every single issue.
2: And I think that that is One of the dangers of sort of the self-sorting that's going on in the United Mm. States right now. And it's definitely um, why I – part of the reason why I live where I live and why I love living where I live is because it is very easy to say the left is the problem. The left messed it up. The left is wrong. It's much harder to say Oh, the left is my friend, Sarah. The left is my daughter, yeah. Sarah. And the left is, you know, the the Democrat that's ruining the country is also the Democrat across the table or the Democrat across the board meeting or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I sort of I think that that just putting faces to those different because, we, you know, it became sort of the last acceptable way to to be tribal, right? Mm. You know, I think we have a certain judgment of tribalism. And there was this embrace and th- this embracing in our culture of multiculturalism and um, diversity, which is wonderful. And I think that's great. But we and em- we embraced a tribalism in a different way. And I think that we're seeing the repercussions of that now in our culture. And, you know, tribalism can be used for good or ill. And I think that the more we can... Um, you know, understand it instead of running from it and use it in a powerful, positive way, the better off we'll all be. Um, and understanding that there are multiple tribes that we can all mm. belong to. But I think that's a human drive. That's a, that we have, we need that. And that's why we self-sort. But, you know, one, one version of self-sort, you know, metro or urban self-sorting is no more or less inferior or superior than rural self-sorting. We all do it. And um, I think that the power of, pushing those ideas into new places and showing up and being a part of you know different tribes in which you can say look we're in the same tribe we live in the same hometown together but friendly reminder I'm your friendly neighborhood democrat and I am not an enemy of America so <laughs> you know it's 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 a good thing it's a good thing
0: so a pattern with us that everyone will notice is that Sarah thinks about the the group identity and I'm always thinking about the individual mm. and so so my uh uh harmony, I guess, to what Sarah just said, is that I think when you start looking for nuance to become more of a verb for you, you know, this is what I practice hmm. instead of an in state. I think that you have to turn that inward and say, like, why Why do I need to know someone? Why do I need a face on this to be able to deeply examine my view? And when I take my view What does it mean to me to have it? How much of my identity is that I am for or against whatever we're talking about? And I think when you hold those two things together, you know, where do I identify tribally along with and what does that mean to me personally? That's when you could develop a greater capacity for nuance. But another thing I wanted to say before we kind of leave this is that nuance is not to me always seeking to give legitimacy to every facet of a topic. Mm. There are some things that I think are black and white and I don't think that looking for gray in and of itself is a value that we ascribe to. And that's something that we
2: have that's dialogue key. with our listeners about. That's really interesting. A lot. Yeah, we've had to make space for that and I think we've had to come up against because it's hard, you know, once we we adopted the identity of this pol- of this podcast, right? It became one of the roles that we as individuals were performing, and it is, you know, it's performance just like everything else. And, you know, I think once we got in that space, it became, we had to, you know, it's, I think what Beth was just describing as the role of an individual is being aware, right? And that's what we all need to just, you know, take a take a breath, don't react, respond, be aware, just take a moment. And it would have been easy, I think, for us to, um, once the podcast took off, to sort of take take on that role and say everything we could have even I think we could have done two things. We could have found the conflict because that's people like it or we could have found the gray because there's another subset of our audience that really likes that. And in certain situations been like, okay, well, let's find the nuance with this one position that we all find abhorrent, you know, and so I think that I think either one and could have been I felt the pull of either one yeah. at certain points in our podcast evolution, and so you know the capacity to say no, wait, hold on, let's respond, not react. Let's not. I mean, it's not always easy. You know but that it's you important.
1: you found the nuance between those two things. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Oh, I I love this quote. One of you guys said this. I don't remember who it was, but I was listening to I think your guys your guys podcast or or maybe reading an interview or something like that. But you said. We set out to find nuance, and then God gave us Donald, Donald Trump, Trump. <laughs> and it's so much harder. Uh-uh. And I think that's hilarious yeah. because at the beginning of the election, I set out to create essentially a tool or just something that was ultimately going to be for me, and then I was like, oh, this is going to be helpful for other people as well, I hope, that uh, that helped people find the nuance in the whole political season. I can look back at past uh, presidential candidates and, and people that – uh, you know, I didn't vote for it or even did vote for it and find things that I loved about both uh, and and hated about both. And I think that being able to dive into that is so key. And so I set out to do that at the beginning of this election season. And then Donald Trump came along and I was like, oh, I don't know if it's healthy for me to say, yeah. let's look for like the good stuff. In, and, yeah. in, you know, this particular speech he gave or that particular speech he gave. Right. And it became so much trickier. How do you navigate Donald Trump? <laughs>
2: I think that um, Beth and I both are big fans of a um, Franciscan monk named Richard Rohr who writes a daily email he's fantastic he's the,
1: best. he's the best I love Richard Rohr
2: and so he you know I'll never forget he had an email where he was like you really know that you've come to a contemplative place when you are not bothered by someone who is black and white and lives fully in the false self mm. and the ego and I thought I am not there yet <laughs> um, but I think that I think about Donald Trump a lot and I think <laughs> That's the understatement of the century. Um, <laughs> but I thought about Donald Trump when I read that. And he's you know, there's been a couple recently where he was talking about um, when you can you can occupy a space of wanting growth for somebody. Um, and look, you know, I would love for Donald Trump to wake up tomorrow and to have an epiphany and to become a fully line spiritual person <laughs> and to, you know, occupy a se- place of self growth. Um, Donald Trump has family that loves him. He is a human being and it is very, you know, one of the best pieces of, of political advice I ever got was, um... Bill Clinton told me that you, not like, and not like our personal lunch, like we weren't like, like hanging out. <laughs> I met him in a book tour. But um, he said, you know, you need to meet a lot of different people because people want to see politicians as two-dimensional. And the more people you meet and the more levels on which you can relate to them, the more you seem more like a three-dimensional person. And mm. I think we are definitely in a space right now in which Donald Trump is a two-dimensional caricature of a human being. But that is not reality. The reality is that he is a real person with real kids and grandkids and ideas and an outlook on the world he just happens to be a very powerful person. And so, you know, I think that for me with Donald Trump, what I have to think constantly about is I can't let it, I can't let him become bigger than he is. And I also, you know, sort of can't let him become that caricature. And I have to remind myself that he is a human being and that he has a lot of power, but that, you know, to constantly keep sort of what's happening in check and perspective, because I don't ever want to feel like I did on election night again. Hmm. You know, I won my first race, but I was on the floor because I said the next day on our podcast, I put too much in that basket. Hmm. I put the future of the planet and my children's future and and not to undercut that there are decisions that do affect that. But I can't put everything in that basket. It is not a healthy place for me to be in spiritually or emotionally or psychologically. And I have to um, – put politics in its place as much as I love it. And I have mm. to put Donald Trump in his place as powerful as he is. And to walk that line is difficult and I don't always get it right every day. Um, but the conversations with Beth and our community help me do that. And, you know, it's just I think it's it's if anybody's rubbing all of our rough edges off right now, it's definitely <laughs>
1: Donald Trump. And what does that look like for you, Beth, as the person on the right? Because um, you guys are talking about this every single week in and, and I would imagine that your community the people in your life are are more in the Donald Trump camp than uh, than yours are, I'd be
2: surprised, but my dad voted for Donald Trump, so I got some Donald Trumpers. It's
0: been very clarifying for me, I would say, and I have had to think pretty deeply about what it means to be from the right. What? Why have I been a Republican, and what does that mean to yeah. me? Because I don't see any of myself in Donald Trump. I don't see any of my views in Donald Trump, and it's helped me divorce myself a little bit from that identity i've, I've talked on show and about, what's the show about
1: the identity of, of being on the right or conservatism or republic like w-
0: yeah well, i don't know i think i'm still answering that question yeah. because what do any of those things mean right now you totally. know none of them mean what i thought they meant no and so what i have come down to is look i don't maybe i don't have a political home and that's okay you know maybe this party doesn't represent me anymore and that's okay I can still own that my views are probably considered right of center because I look at the federal government as a problem solver of last resort. That, that is, for me, the defining trait. What role do I want the federal government to have? That's why we have a lot of space of agreement, though. I tell people all the time, if I were sitting on the Paducah City Commission with Sarah, I imagine we would be in lockstep most of the time <laughs> because I think local government has a very important role to play in people's lives. So I'm not um, like a Tea Party type. You know, I, I'm happy to pay taxes. <laughs> you know, I want the money spent judiciously, but I'm happy to pay taxes. And I, I believe in a social safety net. So it's been very clarifying for me. And I think that. That's To me, the way to navigate Donald Trump is to say, what power do I want to give him in my individual journey? Mm. And and that's as little as possible, A. And B, I can always be either in a space of growing or shrinking, and I want to be in a space of growing. And I think that when we start to define ourselves as with or against Donald Trump, and that becomes consuming, that is a shrinking mentality. And Mm. so that's not where I want to be. So I can be clear – About where I have opposition to what's happening. That clarity, though, does not need to make me consumed by being against something.
1: I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about The Good Newspaper. The Good Newspaper is a physical quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. The first issue of The Good Newspaper is already out, and it highlights data and stories that remind us that there is so much hope beyond the headlines we see in the news most days. And then on every single page, The Good Newspaper offers tangible ways for you to get involved and make a difference in the world. Get your subscription to The Good Newspaper and get more good news delivered right to your front door. Go check it out at goodnewspaper.org. Now let's jump right back into the conversation. Something else that I feel like you guys have done such a wonderful job of discussing in the midst of all of this uh, is empathy, which is, you know, I think that it'd be fair to say that we live right now in an empathy deficit. And I feel like there's very many people who have a hard time, and this is maybe a, a nuanced thing as well, but being empathetic towards other people. And empathy, you know, I think it's Brene Brown that talks about this, is, uh, you know, it's actually, like, getting down there with people rather than standing up at the top, you know, like, getting down in the hole with people and being like, okay, hey, let's, like, work out of this together rather than, like, standing at the top of the hole being like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. That's sympathy. Um, and I think that we're doing fine on the sympathy in the world. But empathy is something that, uh, that I've really come to admire in people in the last few years because I think it's especially hard. Um, but I know you guys have talked about this on the podcast as well. You know, where do you see, uh, empathy, you know, in the world of, of nuance?
0: Well, I think it's important to recognize that empathy does not equal endorsement. Mm. I think we are having like a rejection of empathy in some ways in the larger conversation right now. Um, following the events that took place recently in Charlottesville, you heard people saying, are we finished now with trying to understand the economic anxiety of white America? Hmm. And I understand that reaction 100 percent. Understanding it doesn't mean, though, that you embrace it or elevate it or anything else. You can get down in the hall and say, I don't want to be here. And maybe you shouldn't want to be here either. And let's work together on, yeah. on what happens next. So I think our capacity for empathy can grow in this moment as long as we – understand what we mean by that which isn't I empathize therefore you must be correct or I empathize therefore now we agree it's I empathize so that we can remember we're both human beings and we got to find our way forward together and you're probably not going to
2: change much and I'm probably not going to change much either and what does that mean for us Mm. And I think it also – it's almost like what I hear a lot from progressives is empathy and trying to understand someone implies that it's more important. I heard the most amazing quote the other day, and I think it was from Brené Brown on Oprah's Super Soul. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> endorsing that conversation again, <laughs> that podcast again. Um, she said, in a scarcity culture, we look for the extraordinary. Mm. And I thought that was so good. And I think I see that in so many ways in our political conversation because our political conversation absolutely operates from a scarcity mindset, partly because it's built into a winner take all electoral system, partly because of the way the news cycle works. There's a lot of external factors, but you see it a lot. If I give empathy to or I seek to understand white rural America, that means they're more important. That means I don't have any left. That means we don't care about black inner city, that we don't give them the same kind of... I mean, it... It's not a finite amount, guys. And um, so I think that, that you see that sort of that as if empathy was a finite resource, as it's scarce. And we can only give mm. it to certain groups. And um, I will say that I think that, you know, where I live, that ele- in a county that elected Donald Trump, that voted for Donald Trump, with a lot of conservative people, that they – there's a resentment of the idea that, that we have an empathy deficit because in their individual lives, there is a lot of empathy and a lot of work and a lot of reaching out to people. You know, There's been a lot of really interesting articles about counties that voted for Donald Trump and hated illegal ing- immigrants. And then when the ICE crackdowns came and took these immigrants in their own community, they were like, oh, wait, 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 wait. You know, and I used to say that a lot about race in the South. It's they're not so bad except for so-and-so. He's great. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So there's a lot of individual view, you know, that that sort of individual filter. I'm empathy when I know you and I'm looking in your eyes. I'm more than capable of, but do not ask me to exercise that on a global level yeah. because that's not. And maybe you know, maybe there is space there to to understand that that is a big lift. And I also think what you see from the left is, you know, a big lift on the global level, but in urban areas, you know there's not as much, let's say, like sort of individual community service, you know, like there's sort of, it's, I think a lot of it is how our brains exercise. We read a really great book for our book club called The Righteous Mind that I've been thinking about nonstop. And he talked Mm. about like church, church goers do do more community service than other groups, but they do it within their tribe. They do more outreach to other churches, to people within their church community. And I wonder if there is some sort of psychological drive there. Like, we we are more capable of empathy and giving when they're within our group, right? And mm. if we, you know, should we fight that? Should we try to grow beyond that? Do we have to pick? Maybe we can try to do that, acknowledge that that's where we go as human beings and ex- exploit that as the case may be, or, and, go push ourselves to exercise that a little bit beyond our group. I think there's got to be, there's a pull there between both places, because I don't think, you know sort of the the cliche slapping the Facebook filter on your profile pic, that's not empathy. It's just, I mean, it is on a very small level. But is there one is better than the other? You know, do we have to to rank and file? And can we exercise, like, maybe somebody is going to say on the surface that they don't want to help Syrian refugees, and you do, but they do more community service on an individual level. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's, like, there's some complexity there that we don't really want to acknowledge.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting
0: You know, I think the other aspect of empathy is that you can have empathy without it necessarily leading you to a policy conclusion. And often empathy doesn't make great policy. Something that we struggle through a lot as we talk on the show is in countries where people are being oppressed and we have empathy for those people, it creates in you this desire to do something. And sometimes the United States military doing something would not help those people. But But the empathy that we have creates that policy desire – To try to do something. Um, And so I think keeping empathy in its place, again, understanding what it is, not overcomplicating it, to me it is just plugging into this notion of shared humanity. That doesn't always lead to a particular conclusion.
2: Yeah. And I think there's some really interesting writing. I mean you'd think I was the one from the right right now. But um, from the conservative movement, we talk a lot about Arthur Brooks and the conservative heart saying it's not that I'm not empathetic to the poor – or to people who live in poverty, but are we really helping them? Hmm. Are we really, what is our goal? Are we meeting it? Yeah, Because it's certainly not immoral, and I don't know if it's all the way wrong to say that the social safety net has harmed people as well as helped them. And so to consider that carefully and to think where are we going, what are our goals, to sort of take the, the millennial innovation mindset, fail quickly, fail fast, figure mm. out what's working, and it, look, our federal government is not exactly well positioned to do that. Um, I don't think that all those solutions can come from the local level either. I can tell you, as the, the Baduca City Commission is not ready for that lift. Okay, like we're not <laughs> for it. Um, but you know, where do we walk that line? Where do we figure that out? And. What, where, where do our institutions need to change in order to, to be more adaptable and to figure out those, those problems?
0: And I think this applies to the social safety net, but applies to empathy on a much more personal level as well. And in lots of context, you hold empathy as one value. Next to it, you hold agency, and an agency should be a natural outgrowth of empathy. So I've plugged into my shared sense of humanity with this person, which means that person deserves as much agency as I have. And what does that lead me to
2: next? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I know that ever the the new the new hip trend is to beat up on JD Vance and Hillbilly Elegy. Everybody, that's that's the, everybody's new favorite parlor trick. But one of my favorite things that he writes about in that book is the role of agency in people's lives. And the part of that book I will always take with me is he said. When you are a Democrat and you say the government is the solution to everything, you remove agency. And when you are a Republican and you say the government is the problem in every person's life, then you remove agency. Both of those presenting the government as either the sole problem or the sole solution removes agency from people's lives. And people need agency. They need Mm. to feel like they can solve their own problems.
1: Wow. And I love this idea of when you dive into, again, bringing it back, the nuance Nuance. of all of this. Yeah, let's all say it together. (laughs) Nuance. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Nuance. Oh, uh, I can't believe I just got everybody to do that. That's wonderful. <laughs> but when you dive into the nuance, I think that that's really, really powerful because if we could all do that, if we could all come together, I think that's where the impact can happen. That's where we can solve the problems.
2: And I do want to say, though, it's not, like I said, anything good makes you a little sweaty. It's not easy. No. So often I can, I talk, I, and I like this sensation and I very much like to see other people do this, but you can feel your brain kind of bumping up against the wall. Like, you can just kind of feel your brain being like, "Uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, I don't want to do this. This is not the way my world works. This is not my understanding. You know, my understanding is that good, progressive people live in big cities and, you know, I mean, like, you can feel people doing that. Mm. And you can feel that, oh, no, I don't, I don't, mm, this is the world, this is the rule I've written for myself in my life, and you're messing with it, and I don't like it. Because our brains don't like that. Uh, Not to the righteous mind but go back to that he talks about you know our brains are big elephants big animal instinct emotional elephants and we have a little bitty logical person trying to steer the elephant and so i think you know you can feel your elephant be like i don't want to go that way i'm not going hmm. you can try but i'm an elephant and i'm in charge <laughs> and so i it's you know but if you can find the elephant pushing back you're probably going the right way you know like Mm. push into that lean into that
0: well Brandon I I know one of the things that you're really interested in is hope and I think hope has a lot to do with our brains hitting that wall Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of us have lost hope that there's anything for us on the other side of that wall or that even if we reach the other side of that wall we can do anything about this what good is it for me to challenge myself in this way when I'm not a senator, when I'm never going to be the president or whatever the case may be? And I think we forget how influential we are to each other
2: when we're asking these big questions. Mm. And I I think what's really hopeful is that and I have to remind myself of this because I don't know what it was like to grow up in the 50s in the 60s and the 70s and you know, I was raised by Oprah. I watched Oprah every single day at four o'clock with my mom. I watched, you know, this the this, this spiritual minute or I can't remember the name of it that she did. So I those these types of conversations have been in my consciousness my entire life. And I have to remind myself that that is not true for everyone mm. and that my great grandmother and my grandmother and even my mother were not having conversations about empathy and vulnerability And nuance, these are the they feel so, you know, they feel so um, I don't know the word I want sort of forever, like they feel like rocks that have been here forever. And they have. But these conversations surrounding them that we are having as a culture, um, largely probably in part due to the Internet, I would argue it gives us and it takes us away, that, that, that <laughs> internet. But when I want to feel hopeful, I have to remind myself that that was not always the case. Mm. And the conversations people were having about humanity and philosophy were either extremely limited to an elite group or extremely limited in scope and understanding and that we've sort of – we're bridging a divide. I, I believe that and I think that we are having conversations in a in a much larger – level. uh, Also, you know, beyond the ideas, the ideas are bigger and the amount of people having them is bigger. And that's great. That's great. And that is a huge reason to be hopeful. That gives me an extraordinarily large amount of hope for my children and for myself. And, you know, I think that's where I have to focus. You know, Mama Oprah is leading the way always for me. (laughs) I have to take us on a little detour since you talked about rocks. Please. I've been thinking about
0: this nonstop since Sunday morning. So I go to church on Sunday morning and my pastor has this vase, and she puts a bunch of rocks in the vase, really big rocks, and it looks like the vase is full. And she says, is the vase full? And everyone says yes. And then she puts in some smaller rocks, and then she puts in sand, and then she puts in water. And she said that this is an exercise used a lot to talk about time management. And people usually think the point is – Well, if I really want to do something, I can squeeze it in. (laughs) And she said, no, the point is that the big rocks have to go in first. And I've been thinking about that so much because if we zoom way out as a culture, our big rocks used to be survival. Mm. And I think we still behave as though our big rocks are still survival, and they aren't. Wow. We aren't thr- we aren't facing biological threats. We don't need to find a place to be still and warm and hope for, you know, most of us are living in such a comfortable way, but our big rocks are still how much money do I earn? How much social status do I have? How do I stack up against my neighbor? Wow. And since we've made those our big rocks and we've made conversations about the very real consequences consequences of local elections are pieces of sand that maybe we make room for in our jar or not it's diminished our capacity for hope around our political and civic lives and i think we just need to take everything out of the jar and reexamine what our big rocks are and conversations about virtue and nuance and empathy need to go in as those big rocks and we can we can fit in our day jobs and our bank accounts around
2: those big rocks I That's think
1: really good. I love that. I just got goosebumps.
2: I think when a conversation we have a lot of building on her her rabbit hole there with the rocks is that we, <laughs> as the United States, you great unfinished symphony, you got a lot of things right, and I, the idea you know makes me a little misty right now talking about <laughs> it. But we have gotten one thing very wrong, and that is the emphasis on individuality as the sole source of happiness and success. You know. What I would say more than anything is we are the rocks, y'all. Like the rock, the only big rock that we need in there is each other and our connection to each other and our lives as community members. And, you know, when I was on vacation in Canada recently, I was with my husband and my children and my best friend and her family. And I was with a lot of people who I really loved. But I missed Paducah. I missed literally the town. I missed the people. You know, I have a list of 100 people in that town that I see weekly, biweekly, that we interact with on a bunch of different levels. They're my tribe, and I missed them. And, you know, the the source of happiness, of being in a community and connecting with human beings on many different levels on a daily basis is such a source of happiness for me and such a source of connection. And it, it, it allows me to be empathetic. It allows me to be vulnerable. It allows me to grow as a human being. And it's why, you know, I... I am totally sort of clueless when I see people striving, and I hear people talk about, you know, these lives they live in which they're just. And ki- I, I don't really think I think we've moved on. You know, now it's cool to sleep. It used to not be cool to sleep. Now our half <laughs> e. intent has made it very cool to sleep. So we're talking about sleep. Um, but you know, there is still a space, a huge space in this society in which you are the source of your happiness and your success and everything is about your time management and your decisions and your job and your career and your choices. And it's too much damn pressure for everyone. I have a friend who's like really thinking about our next phase. And I finally said, I don't want to be blunt, but stop thinking about yourself. It's exhausting. Don't do it. Like, just let it go. (laughs) Try to reach out to somebody else. Go try some things, work with other people, try to help other people because this emphasis on individuality um, I think has let us made us all very, very unhappy. And, you know, and really our founding fathers and the way that our society functioned for hundreds of years, even though, you know, we were a pioneering culture, there was still a huge amount of community and a huge amount of, you know, that tribe that we all need. And I think that the more we can fill the vase with just each other, you know, we, we are the rocks, everybody.
0: But this emphasis on individualism has made us very cynical about mm-hmm. that, right? You have mm-hmm. people who hear love and compassion and community and think, what a bunch of millennial crap, like, you know, fairy pie in the sky, friends, but the world is ruthless. And I think that's because the big rocks are the wrong big rocks in the vase. Krista Tippett has a paragraph in her book, Becoming Wise, that I've read probably 50 times over the past week, where she talks about how when young people say they want more transparency and more authenticity, we should not shake our heads at that. We should recognize, and I love this phrase, a holy longing Mm -hmm. for us to be who we are and to align what we do with who we are. Right. And I think that's That's really kind of what
2: we've lost. And I think that, look, it's exercise, that holy longing is exercising itself in a whole manner of ways. And some of them are easy to be empathetic to, like, millennials, like people longing for community, and some of them are harder. But I heard, I was listening to the New York Times podcast about Charlottesville and the protest, and she was talking about how shocked she was by how many of the white nationalist neo-Nazis were young men. And I think that they are also looking for that holy longing. They want to belong to something. And this is what has been offered to them. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves about that. You know, I think it's easy to say, Racism is evil. But I think that ends the conversation and it doesn't fix anything. And it mm. doesn't make any of us ask hard questions of why. When, I mean, it's not new. People have young men have wanted to be. I say this is a mother of three boys. So I think about this a, a lot, have wanted to be a part of something. And we have to give them something positive to be a part of and not put everything on their shoulders as, you know, young men and say, You know, again, it's all up to you as an individual to solve all these problems as opposed to let's give you a good group to belong to.
0: And the nuance with that is what Sarah just said does not make her an apologist for them. Yeah. Mm Because there are people who would hear what you just said and react to that in a really dramatic, offended way. And the truth is, again, empathy is not endorsement. You can understand what motivates these folks without saying, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Your coda does not have to be, and that's okay. It's still not. Right.
1: That's really good. Man, oh, my goodness. I just (laughs) – I'm just like left like so happy by this conversation. (laughs) I love that we got to talk about all of this. Um, As we kind of finish up this conversation, what can we leave people with? You know, what if people were to take one action step this week to find a little bit more nuance in their lives, to take a step towards coming together to to actually have conversations with people? What might that look like? Like, what's a really practical way for people who are maybe trying to tiptoe into this to to kind of dive in?
2: So a few months ago, we did a challenge called Exit the Echo Chamber, and there are lots of little steps you could take depending on your level of comfort. Mm. So, you know, a, a good place to start is to read a new source that you don't usually read that represents a perspective that you do not share. That is always a positive exercise. I mean – Not in the moment, but in the long run. (laughs) It is not positive to, like, listen to Fox News if you are a progressive person. But it's an important exercise. So I think that's an easy step is to sort of um, tiptoe outside of your media environment. Um, And then do you want to talk about some of the bigger ones that we did through the challenge, Beth?
0: Well, we talked about empathy mapping, where you actually take some paper and a pencil and try to put yourself in someone else's shoes, and I think Mm. that was really helpful. We talked about writing a letter and then ultimately having a face-to-face conversation with someone you passionately disagree with. I would say that that is a good uh, roadmap.
1: You can kind of take a step towards that final level of having this conversation like you guys do every week.
0: And I think very foundationally, the first thing before you tiptoe into any of that, And what I would always want to leave people with is you're okay, And like just starting Mm. with I'm okay, and I'm going to go read something that I disagree with and I'm not going to lose anything Mm. because of that. That to me is the point of exit the echo chamber. You understand nothing is lost because I took a second to think about this differently. And you know what? Even if I change my mind somewhere along the way, which is not the goal, but if I do or if I'm challenged or if I realize – Something that I thought before might be totally divorced from facts, I'm still okay. And I think the more we remember we're okay, the greater our capacity for nuance becomes.
2: Yeah, because you can't enter it from a defensive position. If you come in it with defensive and that scarcity mindset, you're gonna, it's, it's, it's going to be much harder to take something positive away from it, I would say.
1: Y'all, what Sarah and Beth said was so important and absolutely relevant to where we are all at in 2017. I absolutely love that these two powerhouse women are unafraid of conflict and fiercely advocate for the presence of nuance in our day-to-day conversations, especially when they're about politics, because I think that we need it there more than anywhere else. One thing that they said about nuance in this conversation that really stood out to me was this. They said, an essential element of nuance is that we never have to all agree to take a step forward. Anything hard is good. If you're not sweaty, then you probably aren't doing it right. (laughs) I think that's really funny. And isn't that so true? When we don't have the goal of convincing the other person of something or reaching a conclusion when we're talking about politics, it can be an incredible opportunity to learn. I love that. And I love these action steps that they gave us about what to remember when we move toward nuance. I wrote them down. They said, number one, if you read something that you disagree with, nothing is lost. Remember that you are okay. Number two, read from a source that you do not usually use and from a perspective that you do not normally share. And number three, finally, maybe you can find the capacity to write a letter to someone you passionately disagree with. I think these are really interesting. If we all do this, who knows what might happen. This was such a good conversation. Make sure that you find Sarah and Beth on Twitter and Instagram. But more importantly, make sure that you check out their podcast, Pantsuit Politics, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're new to Sounds Good, we'd absolutely love for you to stick around. If you liked this episode, you're definitely also going to love two of our most recent episodes with poet Anis Mojgani and fellow podcaster and writer Dylan Marin, both of whom are incredible people and they both really understand the power of empathy. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at at good, 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 co. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. And you can order it today. Check it out and see what else we do at Good, good, good at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring conversation with an incredible person. Sound good?
2: hope you enjoyed the conversation everybody we will see you back tomorrow with another regular episode of paint suit politics and until then keep it nuanced y'all